Welcome to the story. We're glad that you're here. We're, uh, we're telling this amazing story, and we're going to do it very creative today because we're talking about creation. So you're going to see behind me uh, people who are going to be doing artwork as we're talking this thing through, and it's just going to be a very, very creative service. Um, I, I still want to ask you to move in if you would. There's still people kind of trying to get in here. It's been an amazing weekend. Uh, really glad to have you here. Did you do your homework? Did you read your first chapter? Because there will be a quiz later. Okay. Teacher suck-ups, they're raising their hands. Yes, okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> tell me a story, Daddy. That's what I heard all the time, right? Putting your kids to bed. Tell me a story. We love a story. And in every story, there's usually a good guy, a bad guy, and a dilemma, right? That's, that's, what, a, that's what makes up a good story. A good bear, a bad ram, an ineffective offensive line. There's your story, right? Okay, I mean, it, it, it just depends on what, how you want to put it all together. And the thing about this story, is it's a true story. The reason that that makes for a good story is because it's based on the truth of reality. There is a good guy, and there is a bad guy, and there is a problem. There is a dilemma, okay? And I realize that probably for all of you, you've got one of these sitting somewhere in your house somewhere. It's got a, a rose pressed, a corsage pressed from prom, you know, maybe some birth dates and some death dates in there and some of those kinds of things. But you really had no idea how the whole thing goes together, and I understand that. And that's why uh, Randy Frazee and Max Lucado put this together for us, put this story together so that we could get through the whole thing. And so for 31 weeks... We are going to go through the entire Bible as it is cut together and put together in this book, okay? And I think that by the time we get done with this, you're going to realize the enormous blessing that you had sitting on your shelf that you didn't even realize. True story this, uh, out of the news this week from Carson City, Nevada. Another one of those stories where a guy dies and he doesn't have any friends and nobody knows he's dead for like a month, literally. This guy had died from evidently heart failure. Nobody knew he was there. He lived in his house since the 60s. And he was a complete recluse. He had $200 in the bank account. So the authorities go in. They decide they're going to, you know, clean up the house and I guess, you know, get get it, get rid of it, sell it, whatever for taxes or whatever they got to do. And and when they got in to Walter Samosko's house from Carson City, Nevada, they struck gold. I mean, literally. They found gold coins that he had been collecting, hoarding, that um, dated back as early as 1840 from Mexico, England, South Africa, all over the world. And just in their raw weight, they estimated the value of the gold coins in his house at $7 million. I mean, that doesn't even count if some of them were rare and are worth something. That was just their weight. And what I'm going to tell you, my friends, is I think by the time we get done with this, you are going to find out that this story, that the Word of God that you've had sitting on your shelf is so much more amazing. You're going to realize you've had this gold mine sitting in your house all this time. And when you figure out how to put it all together, it's going to change your life. This is my prayer for you. And we also thank God continually because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as human word, but as it actually is, the Word of God. Gold. Which is indeed at work in you who believe. That, that's my prayer for you. 
So what is this story? <clears throat> well, um, it is a Bible reading plan. That's the easiest way I can tell you. It's still the Bible. It's still the NIV version. It's the Bible I preach out. It's the same as that, except they cut out all the in-between stuff and they just put in chronological order the story plan for you. It's not a paraphrase. It's actually a story, okay? And the reason we're doing this is, well, there's several reasons. The first reason is the only way for you to grow as a Christian is to understand God's Word. Number one way is for you to understand God's Word. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to teach them everything you, Jesus commanded and make disciples. That's our goal as a church, so that's why we do this, okay? Number one thing you can do is that. The second reason is biblical literacy is at an all-time low. Most people don't know their Job from their Noah, okay? And, and, and you need to understand all those things and how the whole thing went together. But the third reason is the most important, and it's because you are a part of the story, this is not a story about those people back then. It's not a story about what might happen someday. It's a story about all of us and all time. And you are a part of this story. That's why it's so important. So that's why I put a card in your, in your bulletin. I, I want to encourage you to do three things. At the very least, start with show up. Okay, attend. This is how you're going to get the most out of the story. It's a story, okay? When I was young, we watched Batman, and you always wanted to come back the next week and see Batman again because it went together. You know, he was dangling over a poisonous vat. You had to find out how that was going to happen. That's going to go on here. You need to understand that, that, that this is a story that goes together. So come, if it's all possible, at least for the next 10 weeks, try to do this. And if you miss it, we're, we've got stuff online. We've got an app for your iPhone or your Droid Parkview. Just go search for that. You can watch it on there, but I really encourage you to come and be here. Make it a priority for your kids. We had a record number of kids at the last service, and over 300 kids back here, just fifth grade and down, um, at last, last service, because kids are coming, and we want you to do that. This is a good thing. And on Tuesday night, we have a senior high program here, and they're busting out the basement with that one, and they're going to be doing the story as well. So if you've got a senior hire, get them on Tuesday night. If you've got a junior hire, get them here on Wednesday night. They're going to be doing the story with us. We're all doing this together, okay? The second thing is read. Attend and then read. This, this, get a copy of this. We've sold 5,800 of these books so far. We didn't make a dime, but we've sold a bunch of these because you're already doing that, and you can get some on the way out. If we run out, we'll order some more. One chapter. One chapter a week. It's going to take you five, seven minutes, okay? You could do it two or three times during this week and, and be ready for next week. Number three, discuss. Discuss, okay? Get with somebody. You and your wife have dinner on Tuesday night and say, you know what, we're going to go, let's just talk this through. Get the DVD packet out there and start a small group in your own home. Make that happen. Do whatever you have to do. Just get, come and get in one of ours. We have over 300 small groups with room in them for you to come and discuss because it's going to be really important that you do that together. Those are the three things I would ask you to do, all right? Now, we're going to do creation today. Just a little disclaimer right up front. I'm not going to get into big time creation versus evolution. I don't want to deal with that. I personally believe that God created everything according to its kind because that's what the Bible says. I personally don't believe this funny picture would ever actually happen. <clears throat> that's
that's not, that's not going to happen, okay? I have studied this stuff. I could answer questions for you, but I don't want to get into that. If you want one good book recommendation, it would be our friend Lee Strobel, Case for the Creator, who uh, did a great, he was an investigative reporter for the Tribune, and he did a great job uh, putting, the, putting those things together. Uh, I can tell you that lots of people, lots of Nobel scientists and, and whatever, believe the Bible to be true. I can tell you that Anthony Flew, the world's biggest atheist up until a few years ago, uh, decided at the end of, towards the end of his life, towards the end of his days, you know what, I've got this wrong, I, there's got to be a creator, this doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter to me, okay? There, there are three camps for Christians. Um, Christians fall into one of three categories. Some Christians believe that the earth is young and you just take a Bible timeline and, and go through and, and the world is less than 10,000 years old and science doesn't know what they're talking about. About a third of the Christians believe that. About a third of Christians believe that the earth is old and, and there is microevolution, but not macroevolution. And about a third of the Christians out there believe in theistic evolution. They believe that God started and guided the evolutionary process. Personally, it doesn't matter to me how you feel about this. I'm not going to get into it. It's not a thing for argument. It doesn't make any sense. I like the explanation the little, the little girl got from her mommy when she came to her mommy. She said, Mommy, where did we come from? Mommy said, Well, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and they had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and kids, and kids, and, and pretty soon we were here. And the little girl said, well, cool. And then she went to her dad. She said, Daddy, where do we come from? And Daddy said, well, there used to be monkeys. <laughs> Lots of monkeys. And one day, a monkey turned into a human, and then they had kids and kids and kids and kids, and we're here. So the little girl goes back to her mom, and she says, Mom, I'm confused. You say we came from Adam and Eve and God, and Daddy says we came from monkeys. I'm confused. Mom said, well, I explained to you my side of the family. <laughs> You figure it out. Here's what's important. You're going to find throughout this thing a cycle that is going to happen, okay? Dave Stone, my friend Dave Stone calls it an earthly dilemma that begs for a heavenly solution. And it's a recurring cycle. God does something good, man screws it up. God tries to bring it back together again, man screws it up. God brings it back together again. And it's going to go on and on and on. And the beginning of this story is going to feel a little bit hopeless to you as God keeps trying to make this thing happen and we keep messing it up, okay? So we're going to start at the very beginning and it's going to start out good and by the time we get to the end, God's going to destroy the whole earth except for Noah. That's what happens in the story today. Let's start at the very beginning. God creates it and it's all good. You know people like to say that. It's all good. It's good. It really was back here in the very beginning. Turn in your Bible to page one. I just always want to say that. I don't really care whether you do or not. I'm going to read out of the story. I'm literally going to read out of this. If you want to bring this back, I'm going to try to preach right out of this because it is it's the same, same words that are in there. Uh, we also have magic little elves that put up, up on the screen. You do whatever you want. Okay, here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, you need to understand something. Any good literary work is always going to start off very strong, right? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. They're going to start off with some kind of a statement that really grabs you and says, okay, this is what we're all about. Never has there been a more grabbing statement than the beginning of the most important and the all-time best-selling literary work of all time. In the beginning, God. 
That's the main character. I mean, right at the very beginning, in the beginning, God. All creation flows out of Him. There is darkness. God speaks. There comes life. He doesn't even break a sweat. He just creates life. In the beginning, there is God. And no, I can't explain eternity to you or infinity or immortality. It's above my pay grade, as somebody once said. I don't understand all that stuff. But I believe that in the beginning, God. And everything starts with in the beginning, God. And here's the deal. You won't have any trouble with the rest of the Bible if you can believe the first line. Okay? I'm not, I'm not telling you you have to, but if you can believe in the beginning, God created, then everything else is pretty simple. A fish that swallows a guy and spits him back out again. A million people that walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. The resurrection of the Son of God. Heaven. None of those things are really a problem if you believe the first line. So let me pause for just a moment and ask you. I don't want a show of hands. I just want this to be introspective for you. Do you believe in a God who created us? Because that's the most important place to start. And hey, you know what? If you don't... You're welcome here. We love you here. If, if you come for 31 weeks and walk away and say, no, I don't believe that stuff, great. We, we would just love to be a part of that journey for you. And you need to understand that that's where it all began for us. That's how it all works for us. In the beginning, God created. Now, the Hebrew word for created was divine creative activity. It literally means to call to existence something out of nothing. We cannot create, okay? They can paint, they can manufacture, but they didn't come up with the paints. They didn't invent the paints. They didn't create those things. They didn't create the canvas. I heard about the group of scientists one day that decided they'd go to God and tell him they didn't need him anymore because they had everything all figured out. You know, they could make and clone man now. They can do everything. And so they got together and they sent a representative to God and they said, you go talk to God, tell him to get lost. So the guy goes to God, he says, God, you know, thanks for being here. Thanks for all this, but we got this now. We don't need you anymore. And God said, well, let me, let me just make sure you guys are okay before I leave. Let's, let me challenge you to a man-making contest. The scientist said, no problem. And God said, but, but, but I, I want to do it like we did back in the days of Adam. And the scientist thought about it for a minute. He said, okay, we can do that. And he scooped down to get some dirt. And God said, no, no, get your own dirt. I mean, that's what creates mean. God, God spoke and the dirt happened. I mean, God spoke and everything happened. And it was what? It was good. It was good. James 1, Jesus' brother said, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. It was good. And there's this pattern at the beginning. God makes something one day and it's good. And then he makes something another day and it's good. Over and over again. Good, 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 good. Until we get down to the bottom of page two. And God says, let us make mankind in our own image. Now this is, this is important. I've talked about this before. But this is important. God already existed in community. He already existed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together. All right? He wasn't lonely. He wanted to make children. He wanted to make people like we do. He wanted to make people that could love him, that could love him back. So he said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock and the animals and over all the creatures and move along the ground. Man is a unique creation that's made in God's likeness to glorify God. The Latin for this is imago Dei. I love that phrase, imago Dei. I have a 
pastor friend who has Imago Day written on the inside of his wrist right here in a tattoo. He got it tattooed on. It says Imago Day so that every time he looks down, he remembers he's made in the image of God. And every time he shakes somebody's hand, he remembers that they're made in the image of God. I like that. See, that's my problem with non-theistic evolution. Non-theistic evolution says there was this big accident and you popped out. And that gives your life no purpose and says you are not here for a reason. The Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God and that he wants to have a special relationship with us. And herein is what lies our true worth. God loves animals. I'm sure God loves your cat, but your cat was not made in the image of God. Maybe the image of Satan, but not the image of God, okay? God actually created you so that he could love you. That was a special relationship. I was in a place that was a beautiful nature place this week, and I was, I was reading from Psalms in my quiet time, and I came upon this. Listen, when I consider the work of your heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. It's amazing, God. You have made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. You made us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under our feet, all the flocks and the herds and the animals and the birds and the fish and all that swim in the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It is amazing that you've done this for us. So, the Bible says... God created man. Makes you wonder what man looked like, doesn't it? Do you ever wonder? I mean, what did he look like? I, I think he was a little under six foot, light brown hair, goatee, and about 51. But you think whatever you want. <laughs> he makes Adam, but he doesn't make Eve, okay? And we don't know why necessarily, but he makes all the other animals come by and Adam names them and there's some time that goes by before he makes Eve. And then we get to Genesis 2.20, right in the middle of page 4 if you got the story Bible. But Adam had no suitable helper. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I had the youth guys ask our teenagers what they thought Adam and Eve looked like, because I knew my answers would be old, you know, and uh, their answers were just incredibly inappropriate. A very shallow youth department. But, but, but the funniest one that I could share with you, the funniest one that I could share with you was Adam looked like Chuck Norris. And Eve looked like Chuck Norris without a beard. That's fun. <laughs> Sometimes people say, why, why, why did God create Adam first and then Eve later? And it depends on who you talk to. Okay? If you talk to female biblical scholars, they will say, oh, well, this is really simple. God made man and he thought, ah, oh, I can do better than that. And he made woman later. <laughs> if you talk to male biblical scholars, they will say, well, he didn't want to create woman until the end because otherwise she'd be telling him how to do it all the way through creation. <laughs> You decide, okay? But Adam wakes up from this sleep and boom, there is Eve. And I mean, can you imagine? His heart is pounding. He's saying, thank you, God. I don't have to live with the orangutans. This is good. As a matter of fact, God said, you know what? It is good. As a matter of fact, this is the first time God said, it is very good. And I agree. It is very good. 
Now we have everything put together as it was supposed to be. Now on up earlier, God had told the man, he said, listen, um, you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat of it, you will certainly die. And people always ask me, why did God put that tree in the garden in the first place? And it's really very simple, okay? It's a matter of freedom of choice. God always gives us the freedom to choose to love Him back. If there wasn't an ability for them to choose not to obey Him, they would be robots, they would be pets, they would be caged animals even in the Garden of Eden. If they had no way to prove their love back to God by obeying Him, by not eating the tree. And so, you know, what we forget is that there was harmony in the Garden of Eden for a while. We don't know if it was days or weeks, but for a while there was actual harmony. And they walked with God in the Garden, and it was amazing. And and you just have to wonder how awesome that was. And you have to think to yourself, man, you guys had one rule. I mean, there weren't ten rules. There wasn't a whole Bible. You had one rule. Couldn't you have eaten the pineapple or the kiwi or something else? Why did you do this? And then, every once in a while, in your real and personal moments, you get to yourself and you go, eh, I probably would have eaten it too. Don't you? And Because there's a whole lot of stuff God told me not to do that I do. There's a whole lot of stuff that God told me I ought to do that I don't do. You feel me? And I probably would have done the same thing. And plus there was this serpent, Genesis 3 tells us about. In Genesis 3, we, we discover the bad guy, the antagonist. We discover Satan. He comes in the form of a serpent. And he is the answer to why the world is so messed up today. Whatever it is that came into you right now, it came from him, okay? It's not God's fault. There is always an antagonist. And in this case, there is. His name was Satan. He was actually Lucifer. He was an archangel of God. And before God ever created the world, Lucifer tried to overthrow God up in heaven. And he took a third of the angels and tried to overthrow God. Because somebody's always wanting to be in charge and God said no we're not having any of that and he flicked him out of heaven and Satan is now banished and he's doomed and he's a sore loser so all he wants to do is roam around trying to take as many people with him as he can and his job description in John 10 10 is to to, to kill and to steal and to destroy that's what Jesus says Genesis 3 verse 1 Top of page 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of the tree in the garden? Dave Stone said "This this is where we find the first of three things that Satan always does to us when he tries to trip us up. The first thing he does is he questions. He questions. Did he really say? Did he really say that? That's what Satan does to you. Did God really say you shouldn't do this? I mean, really, seriously. And then the second thing he does is he denies. He says, really? I mean, you're not surely, surely you're not going to die. He said you're going to die. No, you're not going to die. He denies. And then the third thing he does is he reverses. He says, you'll not surely die. Instead, your eyes will be open and you'll really live. That's what Satan does over and over again. He starts by questioning, did God really say that? And then he denies it. No, I don't think that's really going to happen. And then he reverses it and he says, you know what? If you just do this, it's going to turn out really, really great. I, I don't know if you've ever had that happen in your life, but I have. Satan is the father of lies and Eve buys it. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom... 
Okay, there's some, there's, some, there's some selfishness. This is not just like, oh, I've never had this apple before. There's something in here where she wants to be God. She, also, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how fast it went. Up to this point, they have harmony. They're naked, un- unashamed, uninhibited. And now they have guilt and they're hiding and they're trying to cover up. Because that's what sin does. It makes everything fall apart and then you've got to cover it up. That's the earthly dilemma that begs for a heavenly solution. And you and I would like to think, you know what? I think I could have obeyed one rule. I really think I could have done it. But we would have done the exact same thing. I know this to be true because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I know you have. And you know I have. And we see the pattern start to happen right here in the beginning of Genesis. Because it's not just Adam and Eve, right? What happens? They have kids, Cain and Abel. And they decide to give sacrifices to God one day. And Abel brings this beautiful offering to God. And he gives this offering to God. And God goes, oh, that's really awesome, man. I, I, Abel, you are, this is so great. Thank you so much. And Cain kind of throws something together at the last minute. He like forgot his checkbook or something. I don't know what happened. But he, he got this little thing in the last minute. And he throws this up to God. And God's like, okay, well, thanks. And, and obviously God was more pleased with Abel's because it came from his heart. And it was a deep sacrifice. And Cain knew it. And Cain was mad. And he wasn't mad at God. He was mad at Abel. So he took Abel out into a field and committed the first murder. That's all right here in the beginning of this story. Because that's what sin does. It, It makes us do things that we would never do otherwise. And all throughout Genesis, you see this cycle continue. All throughout the Old Testament. All throughout the Bible. All throughout human history. You see this cycle repeat itself over and over again. And Adam's choice becomes Cain's choice becomes our choice. My daughter Rachel is a, is a musician in Nashville. She's a singer and a songwriter. She wrote a song about Cain. And she wrote a song about Cain when she went to South Africa for the first time on a missions trip and started to learn the atrocities that happened to black Africans in South Africa during apartheid. And she was blown away at the fact that she didn't even realize those things were going on during her lifetime. She didn't even know those things were happening. And so she wrote a song. And so some of the lines out of her song were, I shudder because I don't feel pain. Bullets fly and I'm Cain. I'm silent while you're suffering, living like I don't see a thing. Cry, Cain. Cry for the brother you killed, for the grave that anger filled. The land can't rest until you cry. I shudder because I don't feel pain and decades fly and I am Cain. And so are you, and so am I. Which leads us to the very end of this first chapter and a guy named Noah. By the time we get to Genesis chapter (laughs) 6, there's no need to go to Vegas anymore because it's all Vegas. Okay? Everything went downhill from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to the world became so wicked, so decadent. You didn't have to leave it anywhere anymore. It was the whole world was this way. And what we see in the story of Noah is that everything went from all good, it's all good, down to only one good. Genesis 6 verse 5. And the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart 
was only evil all the time. That's pretty bad. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. The next two words are some of the most important words to the human race. But Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we're introduced to the very first time not the last, the very first time that the human race is saved because of one good man. Hang on to that. It's going to be important. God says, Noah, you're one good man, so I'm going to start over. I want you to build an ark. I want it to be a football field and a half long. You're going to take 120 years to build it. We're going to get the animals on board. Crazy, crazy story. But hey, in the beginning, God created. You can believe that God could make this happen, right? This is the story of Noah. And all the animals are on the ark, and he's up there, you know, for a year floating around because God makes it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he finally gets out, and the human race starts over because of one good man, okay? And the earthly dilemma is starting to show the heavenly answer that one good life could save all of life. Then what happens? Noah gets out of the boat, gets drunk, commits horrendous sin, starts the whole process all over again because we're sinners and we're human. So God creates and it's all good. One man sin, it goes wrong, gets down to only one person that does good, and he blows it too. Great story, huh? But there's still hope for very good again, okay? And I'm going to come back and show it to you at communion time. Because while Adam and Eve and Cain and Noah and each of us struggle with sinfulness, in the lower story, the upper story is starting to take form all the way back in Genesis and show us that there is hope. Uh, with these artists behind me painting, reminded me of the story that I heard about a painter who was doing the same thing and he was painting this scene and people were watching and it was a bleak wintry scene. He was snow coming in and the trees were bent over in the wind and, and it was just, you know, it was a mountainside but it was just one of those blizzard kinds of days and he drew a little cabin down in the front of this picture and it just made you cold to see what he was doing as he was adding all these touches. And then they said with one simple stroke of genius, literally, he took his paintbrush and dipped it in the yellow gold paint and painted one little stroke in the window to make you see that there was a fire inside the cabin and that whoever was inside of there was okay. I want you to see a couple of those things in this story because we're going to have communion in just a moment and you need to understand a couple of brush strokes that you might have missed about the fact that there is hope for you to have very good again. It was all good. It was very good. It went bad. It went to one good. Then it went to hopeless. And it's going to go to hopeless a lot, but there's a chance for very good again. If you look closely, you'll see it as we get into this on uh, page 6. If you were reading through this and you read this, it probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to you. But to the serpent, God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Ladies, this is why you hate snakes, okay? You can, you can blame this on all the way back to Genesis 3. And between your offspring and hers. And he, this offspring of Eve, will crush your head. 
and you will strike his heel. If you didn't understand biblical prophecy, if you didn't understand what that was all about, you, you would go right through there and go, well, I don't get that. And let, me, let me help you get that. He's talking about Jesus. God is prophesying about Jesus all the way back here and how someday Jesus is going to die on the cross and his heel will be bruised as his feet are nailed to the cross. But on Sunday, in the empty tomb, he would send a death blow to Satan because there's no way Satan could recover from the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you remember the Passion of the Christ movie, Mel Gibson put that weird scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not in, it's not in Scripture, but he, it was a veiled prophecy back to Genesis 3 where Jesus finds a snake and he stomps on it as he gets ready to go to the cross. Literally, that was a brushstroke by the artist by God himself to put that in Genesis 3 to go, you know what? It's going to be a tough life now. But there is hope. Jesus said, I am the... Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now you can have this. Very good again, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. There's another little brush stroke in this story. And it comes when uh, God makes clothes for Adam and Eve. It's at the bottom of page 6. Adam and Eve covered themselves up with fig leaves when they realized they were naked. God goes to another level. For some reason, God wants them to really be clothed, not just fig leaves. So God kills an animal to make an animal skin clothing for them to be able to have. It says, Adam named his... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them now you say well, why, why did that happen well this is the beginning of something that God was doing to show us all throughout the Bible and what you're going to learn as we get into the covenant as we get into the law is that God set up this system that there would be there would need to be blood shed as a sacrifice for sin because sin brings death spiritually and sin brings death physically so God literally slaughtered the first animal and there was blood because he wanted us to understand that that's how bad sin is. That when we sin against God, there's got to be a blood payment to cover for it. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer in the New Testament said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. And God is setting it up over and over again. He's training his people. Sin means death. Sin needs death. Sin needs to be covered over by blood. So that when Jesus would die on the cross, someday... We would understand that as he shed his blood, no other, no other payment for sin needed to be made. And God sent his son into the world, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that whoever has the blood of Jesus cover them never has to have any worries again. And we can be very good. A couple of little brush strokes of yellow in this story. We're getting ready to have communion and Jesus on the night before he was betrayed, he said, hey, when you get together, and we do this every week here at Parkview if you're new, when you get together, I want you to, I want you to remember that my body was broken and that my blood was shed for you. 
And that you can have life and have it to the full. And that you can have very good again. And people, I'm not talking about very good in heaven. We will walk with God in the garden someday. But we can have very good right now. In spite of our sin. In spite of what you've done. In spite of what Cain did. In spite of what Noah did. In spite of what Adam did. It can be very good. We give you an opportunity to do that as we pray. And as we take communion right now. Let's do it. God, there are people in this room that need you. I know they are, and maybe through this story today, they realize they probably would have eaten the apple too, because I know I would have. In my real moments, I realize that. I pray that you'll be with them and speak to their hearts right now. If you're calling to them, let them just cry out to you in their own hearts just to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I need you to forgive me for my sins. I want to be very good. I want to have life. I want to have it to the full. Yeah, I want to go to heaven someday, but I want to have, I want to have very good right here on this earth. Can I please do this again? Can we walk in the garden? And I know that you will come and you will bring it to them. There are people who have been away from you for a long time, Lord. They, they, they need to just know that, that you're calling them back and that you're always going to love them and that there's nothing they can do to separate them from your love. And there are other people like me who heard this story a million times and we just need to be reminded of the fact that no matter how good I try to be, I'm always going to blow it. And there's always going to need to be a blood sacrifice. But because of you, it's already been paid. So as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're going to remember what you did for us on the cross. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.